going to be preaching from John 7, 53 to, to 8, 11. There is a portion there. Maybe you have a more modern translation, the NIV, the ESV, the New American Standard, the Revised Standard Version, one of those. And you'll notice that in, in any of those versions, in all of those versions, there's either an asterisk or it's marked off with brackets or they have a note about it. And that's because those verses did not originally appear in the manuscript of John in the early Greek manuscripts. And, and, and in fact, it didn't appear in any, any manuscripts until about 400 AD. And it's missing from the Syriac, Syriac, a Coptic Gospels, Latin, Georgian, Armenian Gospels. So don't freak out. Um, It's it's a true account that's been passed down to us. But what likely happened is that scribes put this here as an illustration of some of the true things um, that that illustrate what Jesus was saying. So uh, wherever the texts have it, it's it's in different places. Sometimes it's put here. Sometimes it's put uh, later in John. Sometimes it's been placed after Luke. The content actually... It has some of the same wording that Luke uses, so most people think that it's not original to John, although it is a true account probably of Jesus and what he did, and it's a great illustration. Now, the reality is, even if you disagree with that, none of the truths here are lost because all of the truth is contained in John seven fifty three to 8, 11. They are throughout the Bible, so there's no truth left behind there, and there's also wonderful illustrations there that um, we just don't believe that. That was included by John, so we're going to pass over it today. So let's turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. And if you'll notice that if you started reading from John 7, 52, and you continue on, that this is all in the same setting. This is in this setting where Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he's, he's at the end of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And so that's where we have this passage today. So let's turn to God's Word. John 8, verse 12 to 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself... My testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him for his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says... Where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you're from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. 
I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things. Many believed in him. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that would be the response for us. God, I pray that you would enable us to set aside all distractions and to focus on your word and respond to you. Jesus, you make claims in this passage. God, I pray that you would enable us to respond to the claims of Jesus, that you would enable us to follow Jesus, that you would enable us to believe, that that you would transform us in every way. God, we require your Holy Spirit to understand your word. I pray that you would enable us to do that today. God, would you enable me to preach your word? Would you give me the Holy Spirit, I pray? Would you pour out your spirit abundantly today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to picture the setting. Jesus is still at this Feast of Booths, this Feast of Tabernacles or Tents. We saw in the last passage before this, and as it ended in 752, that that when Jesus was teaching, he was teaching right after the morning sacrifice had happened. And and what they would do every day in this Feast of Booze is they would would go into the temple, and they would would bring this water from the Pool of Siloam, and they would walk this water, and they would dump it out on the offering, pour it out on the offering. And that was symbolic of the fact that, that that God was the one who provided for them in the desert. And that's what they were celebrating. And so Jesus, after that, we saw last time that Jesus, after that, he stands up and he says, I am that water. I am the one who quenches your thirst. I am the one who gives you what you need. I am the one who gives you life. I'm the one who gives the Holy Spirit to you. And so right after that, they continue on in the celebrations. It was the last day of the feast. And so what they would do is that night, the final night of the feast, and, and every night of the feast, they would light these giant torches. And they would, as they lit these giant torches, it would light up the whole area around them. It was a joyful time, a time of celebration. And it was this dramatic setting that after that, at the end of the final day, they would, they would extinguish the lights. I can only imagine that perhaps that's when, most people think that perhaps that's when Jesus stood up. Just as he had given an illustration of him being the water, Jesus stands up after their light has been extinguished and he makes a declaration to them. You see, this, this feast, it was celebrating the fact that, that God had not left them alone. He had been with them for 40 years in the wilderness. He had led them. He had guided them. He had, he had been their manna every morning. He had been their, their water in the desert. And, and also, if you recall, he had been their cloud by day to shield them from the scorching heat. But, but something else as well. You see, God had gone before his people as a pillar of fire at night. 
He provided not only heat for them when the desert temperatures dropped, he provided protection. He provided illumination. He provided safety. He, they could have a visible manifestation of where God was leading them, where God was guiding them. And they celebrated that in this Feast of Booze. In Zechariah 14, 16, he had, he had forever associated their Feast of Booze with the Messiah. He says, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booze. This, this Feast of Booze was forever associated with the Messiah from Zechariah's time onward. And they would look forward to the coming Messiah who would be their true light. And so Jesus, in, at the end of this ceremony, this last day of the feast, perhaps the next morning after it is, he looked up and saw the, the embers remaining. Jesus stands up and he speaks. Look down in verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus is revealing something about himself. He is revealing that, that he is different than every other person. And in fact, he's revealing that, that he is more than a mere person. He was revealing that, that he is the light. You see, um, the rabbis, the Pharisees, they would actually sometimes refer to the Messiah as the light. And so when the light had gone away, the light of those giant lanterns had dimmed, the temple was in darkness. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. The Jews would have remembered David as he wrote in Psalms. David wrote of the fact that he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? In, in, in Psalm 27, 1. Psalm 119, 105, maybe some of them remembered as Jesus was speaking. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So Jesus is declaring, I am that light. I am the salvation. There's no need to fear. I am the one that lights the way. I am the one who provide a, a, a light to your path. Maybe they remembered Psalm 36, 8, where the psalmist wrote, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Jesus is declaring something that if they were listening closely, they would have gotten they would have gotten that he's the salvation, that he is God's very word, that, that he is the fountain of life, and it's in his light that we have life. But they didn't respond very well to Jesus. He makes a bunch of claims about who he is in response, but they didn't respond very well to Jesus. They didn't respond well to that message. They didn't like Jesus declaring, I am the light. You see, the Pharisees, they probably understood what he was claiming right away. We know that because they challenge him. They challenge him because they didn't like what he said, but instead of addressing the content of what he said, they reject his authority to even speak. 
You ever have that happen if you're, if you're sharing the good news about Jesus Christ, you're sharing the gospel, and then someone responds to you, instead of responding to the content of the gospel, they respond instead and say, well, who are you? Who are you? What gives you the right? And that's what they're doing with Jesus. They ignore his claims because they don't like it. Because it means something for them. It means that they have to respond. They have to view him in a certain way. They must respond to him. And they try to refute his witness. They said in verse 13, he says, you are, you're bearing witness about yourself. You can't testify about yourself in court. That's not right. Our, our law says that you have to have two witnesses. They don't address his claims, but they try to use a technicality to get out of his claims. They say his testimony isn't true. And Jesus answers, he says, my, my testimony is true. I'm the true witness. I'm the true witness. After all, if you have someone who has been there from the beginning, who is the creator of all, who better is the one to witness to himself? And so Jesus says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Because I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going and you don't. I know the truth, so my testimony is true. And he says, they judge according to the flesh. You don't don't judge rightly. You're judging according to the flesh. You're judging by human standards, by earthly standards. And isn't that how we judge as well? We often judge Jesus by earthly standards. And sometimes we don't look to him as our light because we judge by our own earthly standards. You ever do that? You ever judge by earthly standards? Now, I, I trust, I believe, I hope that most of you here have have chosen to follow Jesus, that you've received his light, but the reality is sometimes we too can judge by human standards like the Pharisees here. And we can say, Jesus, you know, thank you. You're the light, but not, you're not really enough because I look at everything around me and it seems pretty dark. I look at everything around me and the world says something else. The world says that, that I can have light or life through success. The world says that I can have lighter life through other people, through all these things, through health, through wealth. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you're judging according to the externals. And he tells them something interesting here. He says, I judge no one. But then he goes on to say that he does judge. What is he talking about here? What's Jesus talking about? Well, what Jesus means is not that that he doesn't judge, but he says, I judge no one according to the way you're judging. Jesus says, I don't judge the way you judge. I don't judge according to the flesh. Because if I do judge, my judgment's true. I don't judge in an untrue way according to externals. I judge in a true way. He says, it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. He's not contradicting himself. He says, even if I do judge, I, I have a judgment that's true based on truth. And I don't judge based on what you think. I judge based on what the Father has said. His judgment can be trusted because it's not just based on his witness, but the witness of God the Father who sent him. He's sent by God. And then he says, you know, I actually have a right to testify because I I am God the Son, and the Father testifies about me. So I testify about myself, who I am, and the Father testifies about me. And they played coy. They acted as if they didn't know what he's talking about. Maybe some of them didn't. And it says here as well that They didn't know that he was talking about God the Father. 
But yet, at the same time, they, they refuse to know him as well. They refuse. They don't ask questions. They don't ask Jesus who he really is. They don't ask Jesus what he means. They don't ask Jesus what his claim on their lives is. They don't believe. And so Jesus says to them, I'm going away, and you're going to seek me, and you'll die in your sins. He says, because where I am going, you can't come. What does he mean? He means that all those who refuse to repent and confess their sins, who refuse to come into the light, all those who refuse to do that, they'll die in their sins. And so Jesus, he's telling us here that something is required. He told us at the very outset when he first stood up and he declares, I am the light of the world. He's requiring something of us in response to his revelation. You know, it's not enough to just say Jesus is the way, Jesus is the light. That's good. But he requires something in response. Look at the second part of verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Now look at this. Whoever follows me. What's required? Following Jesus. Following Jesus. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. Not everyone will follow Jesus. Even those who see that he's the light, who agree with it, not everyone will follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, whoever agrees with what I'm saying is true. He says, whoever follows me. All those who are delivered from darkness and brought into the kingdom of his light are those who follow him. You know, I was thinking about uh, a time when we went hiking and we didn't plan very well. I didn't plan very well. I was going hiking with some other people and we had gone up in the woods and we stayed there longer than we intended and we didn't have flashlights with us. And, and, and ever since then, I always carry a flashlight, even if I'm going in the middle of the day, I've always realized that I need light because of this one experience. So we went up to a place called Sky Meadows in Virginia and we had gotten all up in the mountains and we were coming down from the trail and it got dark. And it was really hard to see. And then in the woods, it, it, it gets even darker because the, the light doesn't come through the trees. And so we were stumbling through the dark. And, and I remember I had other people with me. I think there was three other people with me, my wife and, and, and two friends. And, and I realized, oh no, what have I done? I've led them in the darkness. And so I, I thought, okay, I know that I, I remember where the trail is good enough. And I'm going to try to feel my way around. My wife doesn't have very good night vision. The other, the other two people couldn't really see very well in the dark. And so I was like, I'll, I'll lead, you know? So if I hit something, then I'll hit it in first. And so we were, they, were, they were following me. They were grabbing my shirt and following me as I went down this trail. And so here I am. I'm kind of feeling with my feet and my hands and kind of trying to remember where this trail is and not stumble. And they were following on behind me. Thankfully, none of us got badly hurt, a few bumps, a few bruises, had I not remembered the way to go, we would have been lost entirely. Without light, it's difficult. Without light, we stumble. Without light, we're walking blindly through the woods. Darkness, it is all around us. 
Darkness is motivating the systems of the world. As we, as we read in the, the book of Revelation last year, darkness is behind the systems of the world. The, the darkness blinds people to the truth as well. And, and people are mired and lost in the darkness. And I can only imagine how wonderful it would have been had somebody handed me a flashlight. I could have come out of the woods and come out and say, oh my goodness, now I can see. What's required is following the one who is the light so that we don't stumble in the darkness. The word for following him, it's in in the original language, it's in the present tense. It's not just if you follow me, meaning if you've done that once at one time in your life. What kind of following Jesus requires is the kind of constant, continual trusting. This isn't a passive choice. This isn't just about a choice that happened in your childhood maybe. It's not about just singing the song that that a lot of people sang. I've decided to follow Jesus. It's following Jesus as a wholehearted commitment to be a disciple, to not a casual decision, but to follow actively, trusting in him, looking to him, listening to his voice, following him in word and in deed. And it's not just following, it's knowing him as well. You see, Jesus says, if you, if you know me, you'll know my Father also. And he told the Pharisees that it's not enough that you can claim to know about God. If you don't know me, you don't really know God. And so what Jesus is claiming on the reader's life is that it, we must know him. So the question for us is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him to be your light? The irony here is that he's speaking to the teachers of Israel and they're supposed to know all about God and yet they don't know the very one who stands before them is God. But in his correction of the Pharisees, when he says, you don't know me, nor the, you neither know me nor the Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father. There is a promise here. For all who come to know Jesus, we can know the Father. That's a wonderful promise. If we know Jesus... We can know the Father. Jesus makes another claim here. He says, you must believe. It's what's required of us is that we must believe who Jesus says he is. There's something interesting about this passage that John's trying to get across to us. You see, in this passage, you know, if, if I was speaking to you and I said the same thing a lot of times, you, you, might, you might begin to understand that I was trying to get a point across. But if I repeated myself 40 different times, you might understand that I'm trying to emphasize that thing. In this passage, Jesus 40 times refers to himself, I, me, myself. 40 times in verse 12 to 30, Jesus talks about, I am, me, myself. What's he trying to get us to see? Jesus is trying to get us to see who he is. And that we have to believe who he is. And he says something astounding in this verse. Look in verse 24. Jesus says, if I, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe, there's something interesting in the wording. It says, that I am he. Jesus is making a claim. He's calling for a response. We must believe that I am he. That's kind of a, an odd way of putting things, right? I think, I think Jesus does that on purpose because, well, I know he does it on purpose 
Because in Isaiah, in Isaiah 43, when, when God is speaking to his people and he's telling them that they'll be his witnesses, he says, you're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. God's self-declaration is that I am he. I am that I am. And, and, and several times in scripture, God refers to himself that way. I am he. And so Jesus comes and he says, I am he. And unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. He's making a clear I am statement. And he's declaring that he's the Lord Yahweh when he says that unless you believe that I am. But they missed the claim. They missed the light. But what's the result? What does he say the result is? Look down your Bibles. It says, those who reject his claims can't go to heaven. He says, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going away, and where I go, you can't come. What he's talking about is I'm going to send not only to the cross, but I'm going to send to my Father in heaven, and you can't come there. Why? Because no one who is in their sins, no one who dies in their sins can go to be with the Father. The result of not believing who Jesus is is that you cannot go to heaven. All those who reject his claims will die in their sins. Think about that for a moment, where, where you are today. Are you following him? Do you believe in him? Do you see him as your light? All those who reject him will die in their sins. But here's the, the neat thing to see in this passage. At the end of the passage, it says that many did believe. And so what's the promise for those who believe? Those who believe that the reverse of what he said is true, that if we do not die in the sins, if we follow him, we'll have the light of life. We won't die. We won't walk in darkness. All those who follow him will not walk in darkness. You don't have to stumble around in the dark. Right now is a very dark time. It's always been a dark time, right? But right now is a dark time. And, and, I, and I think there's forces of evil are at play, like we see in the book of Revelation, behind the government, behind people, behind powers, behind principalities, behind authorities, really is darkness, And people's eyes are being darkened. Their minds are being darkened. Their hearts are darkened. What's the remedy? To shine the light of Jesus. To see the bright light of Jesus that dispels the darkness. In the midst of darkness, what do we need? We don't need need to look to the world around us. We don't need to look to solutions around us. We don't need to look to the things around us in the darkness as if answers are found in the dark. We need to look to the light to shine a bright light in the darkness. And he makes a promise. He says, all those who follow him will not walk in darkness. Maybe you're feeling confused right now. Maybe you're you're feeling like you're walking along in the dark. He says, if you follow me, I won't leave you in the dark. You'll follow me. You won't walk in darkness. You will have a light that cannot be extinguished. We won't walk as those who've been spiritually darkened people. 
You won't follow the works of darkness, be deceived by them, held captive by them. You'll never be in the dark again. You'll have the light of life, a light that is alive. I love the context of this passage. He says in verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury he, as he taught in the temple. Now, where that treasury was, it was, it was right outside of that, that. The court was right outside of where they would take the money and they would put it into a locked area. He, he wasn't teaching in that locked area, but what they would do is they'd bring out these, these large chests that looked like shofars or trumpets. And they would have, they have a 13 different chests. And the, the people would come and they would allow women into this place as well. It's one of the only places where women were allowed into the court as well as men. And so all the people would come. They would gather here together and they would give their offerings in this part of the temple. But the, the neat thing about this part of the temple is that this is the place where those giant lampstands would be placed. You see, in the Feast of Booths, these lampstands were about 75 feet tall. And they had four lampstands, 75 feet tall or so. And they had these massive, some people say it was menorahs or massive bowls on each of these lampstands. And they had some, somewhere around 60 liters of oil based on, on some of the writings of old. And each lampstand, that's a lot of oil. And every night, they would climb up and they would light these lamps. And it was so bright that these lamps, they would shine down not only this courtyard so that no darkness was in the courtyard. No, no darkness was in this area of the treasury as he taught in the temple. But not only that, that, that light, it, it lit up the whole city. You see, the temple was on top of Mount Moriah and, and that was a high point in the city and that light would shine down into the valley, into the city all around. And so the people would rejoice. And what they would do is they would come every night and, and a lot of times men would come there and they would dance the night away singing songs and worshiping under these wonderful bright lights. It'd be a time of festivity and celebration where they would be dancing and rejoicing and singing. And so it's in this context, it says, these words he spoke in the treasury. I love how John is saying, this is where Jesus is talking. And so it gives context to things. It's this wonderful, brilliant, bright light. It would be seen all over the city, down into the valley, maybe across to the Mount of Olives. They've been shining beacons in the night. They would have lit the way to where the presence of God is to the temple, where his glory dwells. And these beacons of light, they'd, 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 they'd illuminate everything, the path of the people so that they could come and celebrate and not stumble around. And as this feast ends, these lights would be extinguished And so Jesus says, I am that light. I'm the true light. But I'm not just the light of this temple. I'm not just the light of Jerusalem. I'm the light of the world. The light of life. An ever-living light. And unlike those lights, I never go out. I'm the light of the world. And if you follow me, You have the light of life, a life that lives on, a light that lives on, that never goes out and is never extinguished. Those who follow him have the light of life. 
I love in, in Revelation 21, 23, it gives a picture of that day in the end when this world is all passed away and he's made a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of, the, of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. What a wonderful time that will be. John continues to write in Revelation 22, then they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more and they will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. What's Jesus telling the people when he stood up? What's he telling us? He's revealing that he's the light and his revelation that he's the light, it's meant to result in us responding and walking in the light and having the light of life. The question really that we're left with is, are we walking in the light? Do you know him? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? Are you following him? Or are you still loving the darkness? See, there are areas, as I was, I was preparing for this, I was thinking about it, there are areas in my life, although I'm walking in the light, following Jesus, there are areas in my life where his light has shines and it needs to shine even more because there's areas where my thinking has been darkened. I need to say, okay, wait a minute, where's my thinking not in conformity to him? Where do I need to follow him? Is there any area of darkness that you need to stop walking in? John, he, he, he not only, he must have been so inspired by this passage that not only does he write about it later in Revelation, talks about the glory of Jesus being our light, but he talks about how we walk in the light in 1 John. In 1 John 1, at the end of 1 John, he says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with him and we have fellowship with one another. How do we walk in the light? He says, if we confess our sins, don't pretend that you don't have any sins. Don't pretend you're sin-free. Walk in the light. Following him looks like walking in the light. Looks like not pretending that you're sin-free. And if you think that you're sinless, he says, you're deceiving yourselves. All of us have areas we need to expose to the light, to bring into the light. So the question is, do we try to conceal those things? Here's the wonderful thing. We don't have to conceal. We don't have to hide. We don't have to cower in a corner in the shadows. Why? Because he makes us clean. It says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and, and to cleanse you and to make us righteous. Walking in the light brings us life and freedom. Are you walking in the light? And sometimes I can forget who I'm following. I can forget that I'm following Jesus and I'm called to follow him in every area of life. 
but I'm calling the one who doesn't condemn me because he was condemned for me. I'm following the one who who has erased all of my sins by taking all of my sins on himself. So I don't have to hide anymore because all my sins have been paid for. So I can say, hey, this is what Jesus has done for me. So every time I come into the light and follow him in the light, I can say, look, here's the things that I need to repent of that I want to confess because he has already dealt with these things. And so it can be a way of celebrating, a way of rejoicing in him. How is God calling you to follow him and walk in the light? I love that they would dance at night in the light, that they would celebrate, that they would rejoice. As we close today, I want to ask you, how can you dance? How is God calling you? How can you dance in the glory of his light, in the glory of your life in him, that you know him, in his presence, in whom there is no darkness? Let's, let's pray and have the band go ahead and come up. Jesus, thank you that we don't have to hide, that we don't have to be ashamed and hide in the darkness, that we can follow you because, Jesus, you have been lifted up for us. You were lifted up on the cross and you've drawn us to yourself. And you've given us the light of life. And so, so now we come into your light. Thank you that you dispel the darkness. God, I pray that where our thinking is darkened, you would reveal how you would have us walk in the light. Jesus, where our thinking has been darkened by the world, I pray that you would give us clarity. Lord, you said that we won't walk in darkness. Lord, I pray that you would lead us with your light, that we would follow you. And Jesus, I pray that we would, we would dance in your light, that we'd rejoice, that we'd celebrate, that we are no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, but you brought us into your glorious kingdom of light. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.